from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Cha. Yesterday, St. Louis's Department of Human Services launched winter operations to help support people without housing during the winter season. The department announced that it will collaborate with outreach organizations to ensure that those without housing can access more than 700 shelter beds, including overflow beds. It added that additional beds will become available in the coming weeks. Community volunteers and organizers who work to support those who are homeless, however, have serious concerns St. Louis is not ready for this winter. In fact, they've told us that we're actually in worse shape than we were last year once they learned there may not be a city-sponsored warming bus to transport people to available shelters. Here with us now to discuss their most immediate concerns and what needs to be done about them are three advocates for those living on the streets. Anthony D'Agostino, CEO of St. Patrick's Center. Welcome. Thanks, Elaine. Ramona Curtis, founder of Unhoused STL. Welcome to you. Thank you. And Audra Yeomans, a student at St. Louis University and local homeless services volunteer. Thank you. Welcome to you as well. Thank you all for joining the program. Before we get started, I want to mention that St. Louis Mayor Tishara Jones plans to join me next Thursday, and we also plan to ask her about some of what we're about to discuss today. Let's talk beds first. The city of St. Louis says that those without housing can access more than 700 shelter beds, including 130 winter overflow beds. That sounds good on its face. What leads you, Anthony, to believe that that's not adequate? Well, there's a a lot to unpack there. Um, We don't necessarily know exactly how many we need. Um, As a system, we need to do better at getting the data and understanding how many people are actually unsheltered and outside, um, how many of those shelter beds are currently occupied, and how many people are on the streets. Um, Those numbers are fuzzy. And we're trying, I know there's people in the community trying to find that data. But once again, if we don't have good data, it's tough to really answer questions like that. Right. So as far as what we know, where are most of these beds? Well, they're they're scattered. There's several different shelters. Some of them are shelters that are shelter beds that are open all year long. And some come on during the winter season. So, you know, you have to get into those exact numbers of how much are each. Um, and once again, if you talk to certain people, I'm sure Ramona and Audra might have an uh, experience of this because they're more client-facing than I am. But how many they see is the gap. Um, and that's always what we're trying to figure out. And it's not easy to figure that out, um, con- considering the fact that we're working with a transient population. And speaking of gaps, there are some considerations when it comes to these beds. Ramona, if you can address Sort of, uh, you know, in terms of these beds, how many are at shelters that are already open 24-7 and have low barriers for use? That's actually an excellent question, and I don't have the answer to it, and I wish that the city would make it more clear. Um, We can't just talk about how many beds, but we need to talk about what types of beds. Um, What really is in need right now are 24-7 emergency shelter beds that don't have any barriers to access. 
So I'm not really sure when we talk about the numbers that I've heard, how many of those beds are beds that have um, qualifications for access, how many of those beds require referrals to get there, or how many of those beds are just safe havens that if you are outside in the cold, you can walk up to that place and get some warmth and some food. Um, That's the need. And so I wonder when I hear the announcement from the city talking about those 130 overflow beds, how many of them are 24-7 safe haven? I can just walk in. I don't think there are any or many, but I'm real unclear. But I think what's also important to know is that if outreachers don't know where those beds are, we don't know how to take unhoused people to those beds. If you go on the Department of Human Services website right now, it um, refers you to outreachers to get access to those beds. It also refers you to 211. It does not tell you where you can find those outreachers. It does not give you an address or a telephone number. So if outreachers don't know where those beds are, how can we get unhoused people to those beds? And in connection with the beds, one of the things that we started the show with had to do with the the warming bus. So as I understand it, warming buses are deployed for different purposes in different places. And we do have a, a statement from the city. We asked the city to provide clarification as to whether or not there will be a warming bus this winter season. And St. Louis Director of Human Services, Yusuf Scoggin, wrote to us that, quote, this year, the Department of Human Services has required that all city-funded winter shelter bed providers operate on a 24-7 basis through March 31st to greatly expand our service capacity, while the warming bus had limited capacity operating for only two hours in one location, downtown, and only on nights where temperatures dipped below freezing. DHS has coordinated many partners and agencies this year on citywide outreach strategies, connecting unhoused neighbors to available 24-7 beds and wraparound services to ensure they don't get caught in the revolving door shelter system that does not address their underlying needs. So it seems like the city is stating that there's less of a need for a warming bus than the 24-7 shelters. Now, when we bring Audra into the conversation to talk specifically about the warming bus, and as I noted before, warming buses are used in different ways depending on where you're, you're talking about, right? So as someone who works on a volunteer basis to support homeless residents, Audra, can you describe how you've seen warming buses utilized here in St. Louis? Yeah, so in St. Louis, in years past, the warming bus is one stationary bus that parks at 13th and Chestnut downtown. People get on that bus, they are allowed to warm up for a couple hours, but then the goal is to get nightly emergency shelter placement from that bus, whether that's through or winter St. Louis Winter Outreach, an all-volunteer organization, or through city-funded nightly shelters. There is, part of that statement is true of, that's a limited supply of beds, that's a limited access point, everything like that. So everyone's goal is to have 24-7 shelter, but it's not in place. None of us have seen these shelters. Um, So to also take away the warming bus seems to just take away the only access point at this current time because the other solution is to call 211 for a placement. And 
you can only get a placement during business hours and if you're lucky. And we're going to return to 211 in just a moment. Anthony, I would like to know, St. Patrick's Center offered to operate the warming bus for the city. How did the city respond to that offer? I I think it's basically what you said in your statement. Um, I don't believe that they're moving towards the warming bus this year. At least that's been my impression. Um, And the hope is that there's enough beds. Um, So warming bus is not needed. And that would be ideal, is having enough openings. And then I do want to just make sure everyone understands, because when you're in working with homeless services and working with the unhoused population, you know, we know this, but it's really important to understand that this is more than just a sheltering problem, it's a housing problem. And so um, in a really robust, uh, well-functioning system, we actually would have no shelter beds because we would just get people and put them right into housing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, housing or sheltering is when we don't have enough beds or units or apartments that are affordable that people can go into. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, long-term, we definitely have to start digging into that 30,000 unit gap of affordable housing in our region, and that will really help this problem of sheltering that continues to get worse. So shelter, housing, related, not the same. Mm -hmm. So we need to take a quick break here, but we'll be back to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. We're talking about the state of services for homeless St. Louisans this winter with three in-studio guests, Anthony D'Agostino, CEO of St. Patrick's Center, Ramona Curtis, founder of Unhoused STL, and Audrey Yeomans, student at St. Louis University and local homeless services volunteer. We have a caller on the phone who has uh, something that you would like to share and we are going to make sure that we're incorporating this because clearly this indicates that um, what's happening around uh, services for homeless is not doing what it needs to do. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Anthony, uh, this is Aaron, a longtime fan of St. Pat's <laughs> and obviously all, all the panelists. I guess my question would really be one centering around, you know, this issue is one that we continue to run into every year. It's like we get to cold weather, we get to 25-degree weather, we get to 20-degree weather, and we act like it's a surprise. And where there's a lack of governmental response, uh, and whether that's agreement on funding or or, um, or whatever that may look like, you then have... uh, uh, community groups, churches, and things like that who fill the void, but they're not receiving any of the funding to do that. And so I'd really like to hear about what are we doing to to not repeat this cycle each and every year, because this has gone back as far back as I can remember to Mayor Slay. Each administration really deals with this or does not deal with um, how we work with our unhoused citizens. Um, so that, I'd like to hear kind of that perspective. Thank you. Aaron, thank you for that. Anthony, would you like to take that question? Sure. Thank you, Aaron, and good to hear your voice again. Hope you and the family are doing well. Um, 
The, I mean, you bring up, you know, that's the big question. How do we create the systematic and systemic changes that we need to to change the system? Well, so I talked about housing. That's an issue. I think there are models out there. And sometimes in St. Louis, we we try to solve a problem without looking at best practices. And, um, you know, I know this was talked about before I came on um, in the pre-planning, uh, but there's there's Houston, Dallas, Columbus, a bunch of other places have figured out models to move in the same direction. And really, you need everyone at the table, all the stakeholders, to come on board, buy in, and align, and try to have that that plan, the strategic plan, to move in that right direction. And then you said funding, Aaron. That's exactly right. A lot of us in the St. Louis area just rely on funding from the city, and that's not fair to the city. That's not fair to the community. We need a diversification of funding. We need to make sure that the nonprofit funders, the governmental funding, and then also the business community has a role to play here. All of them have to come along, put in some, put some skin in the game, and really. But we need that strategic plan that everyone can get behind, and all the stakeholders have to be in table, including the people with lived experience. Well, one of the big stakeholders is the city. And one of the things that is always going to come up has to do with money. So the city of St. Louis has ARPA, or American Rescue Plan money, specifically allocated to address homelessness. Ramona, how could some of that funding be most immediately helpful around services for those who are experiencing homelessness right now, at the beginning of December? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess right off the bat, make the application process and the qualifications um, less cumbersome. Um, and cumbersome in what way? Can you? The process to apply for city funding is quite involved. Um, grassroots organizations such as mine actually need a full-time employee to wade through all of the paperwork that is required to apply for city funding. I don't have a chance. Um, So I'm doing the work, but because I don't have the infrastructure in place, I don't have access to the funding. So too small? Um, No, the application process is too complicated. Right. It does not have to be that complex. I actually requested to both the city and um, a representative from Cori Bush's office. I, I was reached out um, by, they reached out to me because we are doing the work and they did want to help us get some of that funding. And I asked them to consider um, what are called emergency service grants or a program that is very similar. And what that may look like is Um, No, we can't prove that everybody that we feed and shelter is going to go and get a job or get substance treatment or mental health therapy or an apartment. We cannot prove that. But we can feed them tonight and we can shelter them tonight and we still need money for that. Right. In terms of the way that we are equipped, quote unquote, to, to help those who are seeking homeless services now, there is a hotline, two one one hotline. And Audra, we spoke with you in March, and you told us then that the two one one hotline it was designed to be an everyday, round the clock resource 
for homeless people in dire need of shelter was not working the way that it was meant to. Is that still the case today? Yes, I was hoping to be able to come on and say everything's changed and everything's amazing, but it still does not work. Um, I've said many, many times, and I'll say it again, that I think 211 in the hotline in regards to homeless services is a very, very expensive scapegoat for the city where they can constantly, they've contracted them and they can constantly put out spokespeople and say, we have all of these beds, we have all of this, these resources, just call 211 to be placed and get an intake. Um, and that's not the case. People at 211 are frustrated. The operators that I talk to are frustrated. I still frequently call to try to see what information the general public has access to because it doesn't matter what the people in this room know. I support the people that are in the general public and what I get frustrated by is that they don't have access to the information either. And that's what that hotline is for. And it's not working. So access in theory, but not in practice mm-hmm. is what you're, and one of the things I did want to say when I had said small in response to you, Ramona, is that there does seem to be this phenomenon of established nonprofits being able to put in requests through processes that are rather arcane and very involved to get money when there are these smaller grassroots organizations that are taking care of needs in the immediate. And that is sort of the situation that we're facing right now as the the winter season comes upon us. As far as politics goes, because we are talking about the city, there's a, a political structure in place. Megan Green is the newly installed president of the Board of Aldermen, and she's one of three members on the Board of Estimate and Apportionment, along with Mayor Tashara Jones and Comptroller Darlene Green. Anthony, in your mind, is there anything about Green as president rather than Lewis Reed that might change how the city provides services to people without homes, particularly, again, in in the immediate? In short, yes. So Aldermanic President Green is very different in what she has said and I think what she believes than than President Reed was. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, I think we all have to remain hopeful, um, especially as winter comes, that we can make some changes over the next few months and um, implement those. So there, it's going to be a lot of hard work, but um, I do believe that she um, has walk the walk in some some senses too so um we're looking forward to having her her in that position when we are thinking about the next few months before march 31st i think was that date that the 24 7 shelters were open um we're gonna have to deal with um, people who need a place to go Um, not just for a warm bed, but for safety, right? To to be able to wake up the next day um, to another day. Involvement on the part of larger organizations like St. Patrick's Center, that's something I think maybe we take for granted. But for someone like you, Audra, you are a student. What is it that uh, compels you to be involved in this kind of work? Yeah, so I think it's everyone's responsibility, whether I be a student or 
any sort of occupation. I think it's anyone's everyone's responsibility to give back to the community and not even give back, just support where we're currently at um, and use our own my own privileges to do this work. And I think I have skills that enable me to do good work. Um, and I think it's just important of sharing that and decreasing the stigma around being unhoused. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today uh, to talk about this subject. Clearly, we, we need to revisit again. Our guest, Anthony D'Agostino, CEO of St. Patrick's Center. Thank you all for being here. This episode was produced by Avery Rogers. Our audio engineer is Aaron Dorr, and our production intern is Avery. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.